Mysterious Circumstances is an American Crimecast production. Remember, everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Hey everybody, this is Justin. Welcome to another episode of Mysterious Circumstances Podcast. Got a really, really good show for you today. It is the one that was uh, voted for in the Facebook group, and it will be the disappearance of Tara Calico. It is a little bit more well-known of a case. Uh, Lots of people have been trying to figure this out and scratch their heads over it and all that good stuff for quite a long time. Uh, It still remains unsolved, though. Uh, This actually happened in 1988, so a lot of questions, probably more questions than answers in this one. You guys will see what I'm talking about here in a little bit. But before we get rolling with all that, I do got to uh, give my thanks to all you badass listeners out there. Uh, The first one is actually a bad review, but I will read it. It says uh, it's from Betharina1113, and she gave me two stars and said there are host issues. It says, podcast is okay. What I don't like is hearing the host eat and drink while doing the podcast. Dude, eat before you record. We don't want to hear you masticate over the mic. Alright, well, I do drink, and I'm not going to stop drinking. Uh, I actually don't drink all that much while I'm recording. It's usually just one beer. But if it bothers you that much, just don't listen to the podcast anymore. I probably will not lose any sleep over that. Uh, But just for the record, I have never eaten anything while recording because that is extremely rude. I think the one thing that was not alcoholic beverage that hit my mouth while recording was either a cigarette or a piece of ice. The piece of ice came from a rum and coke that I took too big of a drink out of. So, apparently that one episode ruined it for you, so I apologize. But, not really sorry at the end of the day. Uh, The next one is a five star. And it is from All Names Unavailable 111. It says, Great podcast. Found the podcast by accident. So glad I did. Has become one of my favorite podcasts. And yes, I do listen to some good podcasts. LOL. The flow is nice and the research is great. And I definitely know why you said that because I always comment when people say that about how they don't listen to good podcasts. But, ah, world hates a smart ass. But thank you very much. I do appreciate that. Thank you. Um, The next one is actually from the UK, and probably one of the better usernames I've ever seen, which is called Sweet Guts. Um, I literally cracked up when I read it. I was like, Sweet Guts, that's good. But uh, it's five stars. It says, that's the way I like it. It says, can't understand why this podcast doesn't get more attention. Um, It says, a good balance between personal chat and the story says too many podcasts uh, are more about the presenters personalities and filled with irrelevant chit chat and giggling at their own jokes true crime is not the right form of these type of podcasts um, but this podcast nails the ethos of true crime stories for me keep up the great work um, sweet guts thank you very much I do appreciate that and uh, I don't know where you're at in England but I'm actually possibly planning a trip out to uh, the London area and uh, around the Sweden area as well uh, here in the next few months so yeah maybe you can buy me some beers or something but anyway I'm just 
joking but yeah i really am planning a trip out there so thank you very much sweet guts i appreciate that and just an fyi too if anybody is going to be around the indianapolis indiana area um towards the very last weekend of march um i will be down there for the state pool championship so if anybody wants to grab a beer let me know i will definitely have some free time uh do some true crime talk just say hi or whatever i will also be down there for crime con I will not be any kind of a presenter. I'm actually going down there as a fan uh, just to check out some stuff. So just an FYI. Um, I also do got to give thanks to uh, email. Uh, Brandy, thank you very much for sending me that email. I appreciate that. Uh, Linda, Caitlin, and Dawn as well. Uh, Jill, thank you very much. She actually suggested the Marfa Lights, which she is going to be helping me with. Um, next one is Kristen and her husband on Facebook. Thank you very much. Uh, Sherry, Rachel, Jennifer, Jamie. I'd like to thank Christine for uh, giving me a really good theory, giving me her idea of the theory on uh, the Jameson case. I appreciate that. Um, Aaron S., Tiffany, Kathleen, Stacy, Jim, Jessica, Brooke, Sarah from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Thank you. Uh, Paula, Chris, and Liz, thank you very much for giving me some uh, Facebook love in the group called Podcasts We Listen To. Uh, For those of you true crime fans, if you do join that group, there is so much talk in there. There's a lot of great hosts that sit around there and talk and check stuff out. I'm usually in there. Um, I actually just started getting love in there a couple days ago. Just finally got a little recognition, and thank you for that, Liz. I appreciate that. And uh, I got some recognition in there from uh, somebody else, and she's probably going to kick my ass because I totally forgot her name. But I will give you a shout-out next week, I promise. With that um, out of the way for now, we are going to get on to the disappearance of Tara Calico, which is a very, very interesting one. Tara Calico was born on February 28, 1969. Uh, She disappeared on September 20th, 1988, from uh, Bella, New Mexico. She resided on uh, Brug Street there, Brug or Brug Street. Um, She had brown hair, green eyes. She was five foot seven, 120 pounds, extremely athletic. She had a dime-sized birthmark on the back of her, I believe it was right leg. Um, She also had a lazy eye and a uh, cowlick by her right temple. Um, basically, the story goes, Tara Calico, at about 9.30 a.m., leaves her home to go on a bike ride. Tara Calico, like I said, was extremely athletic. She was a very good-looking young lady. She was just starting her sophomore year of college. 9.30 a.m., she goes for a routine bike ride, uh, which was usually about 34 to 36 miles Uh, From what I understand, she actually did this about every day, which is freaking insane by my standards, personally, but uh, that was her routine. Uh, After which, she was meeting her boyfriend at 12.30 p.m. to play some tennis, and then she had some afternoon classes. Now, when she left, she told her mother that if she wasn't, you know, back home by about noon or so to actually come looking for her, and going on a bike ride that long anything can happen you can have you know a flat tire you know, sprain an ankle or something 
Um, but by about 12.30 or so, oh, and it should be known that she did not actually take her bike. Her bike had a flat tire, so she took her mother's bike. Uh, at about 12.30 or so, her mother started getting worried. She hadn't heard from her. So she goes out looking for her. Uh, when the mother leaves, she drives south on New Mexico 47 from Rio Communities. Uh, Rio Communities is about 45 minutes south of Albuquerque, and it is an extremely desolate highway out there. There's really not much going on out there. There's a lot of desert, a lot of open ground. All she finds is a tire track from her bike on the side of the road. What she also finds is a broken cassette player with a Boston tape. Uh, we'll get more into that in the theories. You know, a lot of people think that this was her breaking it on purpose to leave, like, what they call a breadcrumb trail. Personally, I don't believe it, uh, but we will talk about more about that in the theories. So, pretty much, the, the search ensues. Nothing come, Nothing ever comes forward. No suspects. No nothing. The only thing that witnesses say is that the last person to actually see her was at about 11.45 a.m., and she was on Highway 47, which is where her mother went to look for her, and she was roughly about two miles from her house. So we can safely say that she had made her journey and was actually almost home. And like I said, this was a daily routine. She biked this path daily. Uh, when that last witness saw saw her alive at 11.45 a.m. They stated that she was being followed by a mid-1950s pickup truck with a homemade uh, camping cap on the back of it. Uh, they said they were, they really didn't hear anything. They really, nobody ever saw her getting abducted. But they said that this person was actually following behind her very slowly. After that, absolutely nothing. Nobody says anything. Nobody doesn't see anything. That was literally the last time she's seen alive, uh, which is actually sad because she was very close to her home within about two miles, like I said. Now, where this case starts getting a little bit weird is on June 15th, 1989, which was, you know, almost a year, about nine months or so, uh, in Port St. Joe, Florida, which is roughly 1,600 miles away from Belen, New Mexico. A woman going into a grocery store who apparently has seriously good situational awareness goes into a grocery store and notices a white windowless Toyota cargo van parked in a parking space uh, relatively close to where she had parked. Now, when she comes out of the grocery store after getting her groceries... She notices there's a Polaroid picture on the ground in a parking space where that van was actually parked. Now, when she turns over this Polaroid picture, it is a picture of a young lady who has her mouth duct taped, uh, her hands seemingly bound, and it looks like it was taken in the back of a van. You know, there's a small mattress, there's like a pillow in the back. And there is actually another person in that picture. It is the picture of a young boy, probably around 10 to 11 years old, if that old. I'd say 9 to 11, probably. 
and he is also has his mouth duct taped, black duct tape, and he is also seemingly bound. And the reason I say seemingly is because you actually don't see their hands actually tied together. You don't actually see their feet tied together. The way the picture is shot, uh, their hands are positioned behind their back. They're in a kind of like a half type fetal position the boy is laying on his right side on a uh, both of them are have pillows under their heads now another little interesting tidbit about uh, this photograph is that it has a book in it by vc andrews which is it looks like it was actually positioned for the picture it's very visible and is a book called my sweet odrina uh, there's also a plastic cup in the picture and a squirt gun as well. Now, V.C. Andrews uh, just happens to be Tara Calico's favorite author. I don't know about that book. Personally, uh, the book and the movie, Flowers in the Attic, creeped me out to, like, no extent. It was just freaky. Um, and there's actually a phone number on the spine of the book but two of the digits are unreadable so experts pretty much said that there's a possibility that it could be 300 different numbers now local authorities actually believe that this girl in the photo was seen walking along the beach in uh, Port St. Joe shortly before the Polaroid uh, was located uh, what should be known is that if this picture was of Terra Calico it had to have been a very, very recent picture because the film that it was found on was not actually around until May of 1989. And this picture was found on June 15th, so it would have had to have been a very recent photo. There are a couple other pictures. Um, we can get to those in a minute. Now, this girl that was seen walking on the beach in Port, Port St. Joe... Uh, Witnesses said that she was being accompanied by several uh, unidentified adult Caucasian males. Uh, they basically appeared to be giving her orders, telling her what to do, where to walk, all that good stuff. The boy in the photo, he was actually believed to be a young man named Michael Henley. Now, Michael Henley... Uh, disappeared in April of 1988, about 75 miles from where Tara Calico disappeared. The parents of Michael Henley actually saw the photograph and said that uh, that was their son. As it turns out, uh, in the Zuni Mountains in 1990, the actual remains of Michael Henley were found. The Zuni Mountains are in New Mexico, like I said, about 75 miles from where Terra Calico was. What they believe happened was he was on a camping trip with his family. He uh, pretty much wandered off, and there just happened to be a snowstorm that night. Uh, his remains were found about seven miles from where his family was camping. So that whole theory right there just pretty much got blown into the water. Now, it should be known that there are actually two other photographs that ended up surfacing that people throw around the idea that it might be Terra Calico. Uh, one of them was found in Montecito, California, and it had a girl's 
face covered with uh, duct tape. Uh, the image is really, really blurry, but they believe that that is not her. Another one is was found uh, right around 1990, I believe, and it, it depicts a picture of a woman who is loosely bound with gauze. Uh, she has her eyes covered with gauze as well with large black framed glasses. Now there's a man sitting next to her uh, in the passenger seat of an Amtrak train. Now the gentleman has his face turned so you can't actually see his face. Now Tara's mother saw that photo and uh, believes that it is actually a really cruel joke because of the way the gauze were on there just so loosely and the fact that it was taking, taken on an Amtrak train. That is kind of odd. I would definitely have to agree with her on that. The first photograph that was found in the parking lot in Port St. Joe, Florida, Tara Calico's mother went over this photograph a hundred times, and there are some striking similarities. The girl in the photograph does have a scar on her right calf on the outside of it, which is a scar that Tara Calico had actually gotten from a car accident. Um, you can't really see the scar. It's more of like a dark spot, which technically could be a scar depending on the uh, camera and the lighting that you have. I looked at this picture and I looked at it very, very closely. And there's a lot of differences. There's the ears for one. Tara Calico, uh, her earlobes actually connected straight to the side of her face. There is no loose earlobe there. The young lady in the picture has loose earlobes. Uh, another one is the lazy eye. The young lady in the photograph does not appear to have a lazy eye. Now, I'm not going to lie, though. I mean, the resemblance is striking. It really, really is. The fact that the eyebrows are different. That was the very first thing I noticed, and I noticed that because I was raised by my mother, and I also had three sisters. Once women find their eyebrows, they do not change it, okay? I know this for a fact. They do not change it because they will end up looking like a totally different person, and that's how it goes. If women find the eyebrows they look good with, they roll with it forever, all right? I really don't see her being in that picture i mean yeah it's nine months later which it definitely is a possibility i don't know the fact that you cannot physically see their hands tied together like i had said their their hands are behind their back you can't actually see the feet tied together in the photograph um the one thing that does strike me is odd though i'm completely honest the book that right there is is definitely a very interesting detail whether or not it was a cruel joke whether or not it might have been somebody from new mexico who killed tara calico trying to divert attention it's it's really hard telling but there's just too many differences in the facial features uh that i saw from pictures of tara now her mother claims that this is her and it wasn't just a one minute in the police station, oh my god, that's my daughter. Like, she has studied this picture. And she's actually gone as far as, uh, she had Scotland Yard analyze the photograph. And they, uh, agreed with her. They said that, they agree that it was Tara Calico. 
Now, the FBI examined the photo, and they said they could not make a determination. Uh, there was another another party that investigated the photo, and they blatantly said that it was not her. So you have three different people. One says it's her, one says it's not her, and the other one says they are not sure. Uh, another thing that bothers me about the picture is the look on the kids' face. Uh, the young lady and the young gentleman, they really don't look that scared. There's a lot of theories that this was just a hoax picture. I don't want to say it was a, host, a hoax picture, but the look on their faces, you really don't see them in distress. Uh, there's really no tension there. It's just more of a relaxed, dead-eye look at the camera. But other than that, there really haven't been any reported sightings. There has been no clue. There's also some other interesting facts in this case as well. And this is where we get into the Valencia County Sheriff. We're going to refer to him as Wren. That is not his full name. I'm not going to use his full name. Pretty much how this goes is Sheriff Wren. I'm not sure if he's still active. I know he was as of 2010. Uh, he started working this case as a deputy in 1989. He eventually uh, got promoted to detective in 1996, and he got elected sheriff in 2006. Now, where he comes into play is that he is very vocal about the fact that he knows who killed Tara Calico. And what he says is that while Tara Calico is riding her bike, uh, a couple young gentlemen are harassing her. Now that is totally believable because she is a young attractive lady uh, riding her bike pretty much, I don't want to say in the middle of the desert, but there ain't nobody around. And these uh, these young guys are harassing her and they, what he says is that they either tried to grab her while she was riding her, her bike or they had accidentally hit her and they either killed her there or she was actually injured to the point where she was going to call authorities and then they killed her because of that. He also states that the reason he knows this is because at the time of the crime, nobody wanted to say anything. And the reason nobody would say anything is because the people involved have a little bit of power. Now, from what he says, there were two uh, culprits in this. And when they actually found out that they had either murdered her or they did it intentionally, whether it by accident or not, that they called a couple of their buddies to help dispose of the body and the bike because the bike has never been found either. Now, there is a... He also goes to, on to say that some of the parents are involved as well with the cover-up. And the reason nobody has been vocal about it is because they were scared at the time that it happened. Uh, because they didn't want the same thing to happen to them. Now, if that is true, these must be some pretty powerful people in this uh, small community. The reason, and this is just as of late, like 2003, 2006, 2008, that's when he started getting real vocal about it. Now, he said that he had started getting a lot of leads because time had started wearing on and some people who knew some stuff or had heard some stuff had finally come forward. 
he said that the reason they have not made any arrests or even done anything with warrants or anything like that is because of a guy named MR who was in his initials who was a DA I'm not sure if he still is but at the time he was uh, said that without a body they were not going to issue any arrest warrants like I said Sheriff Wren says he knows what happened and he knows who did it and he knows who's involved and you just heard me right the DA MR says that without a body he's not going to issue any warrants because according to him there's not enough physical evidence which I can understand that I really can much as it pains me to say that throw a little uh, speed bump into this for you Sheriff Wren is not a very well liked guy I read a lot of things about this guy and basically the rumors going around New Mexico Valencia County this is not what I'm saying. This is literally all over the internet if you guys look it up. Sheriff Wren, the DA's office, and pretty much the entire police department in this area is corrupt. A lot of people claim that it's corrupt from the governor down, but they said specifically this county is so corrupt because Wren, Sheriff Wren, has a problem with little girls. He had been accused of rape of a 13-year-old girl at one point in time, and apparently that had been swept under the rug. He has been known to frequent houses with young girls inside, like after school hours, like right when school's getting out. Basically, trap houses, or whatever you want to refer to him as. He does not have a very good reputation. Apparently, several younger girls have come forward and have claimed that he has either made sexual advances or physically assaulted them. That is some pretty interesting knowledge when we start getting into the theories uh, here in a minute, but pretty much most of the town cannot stand this guy because he is crooked as they come along with most of the t police department. There are actually several other murders that he has claimed the same thing to where it can't be prosecuted without a body. Just a lot of shady dealings going on. There really is. And as I started researching Sheriff Friend, I actually felt bad for him because I'm sitting here reading all this stuff about him basically throwing the DA under the bus about not wanting to issue any arrest warrants. But as I continued reading and I started digging a lot further, this dude just does not seem like a good cop. And I, I'm not putting down the whole police force out there because I'm sure there are some great, great cops. But literally, I read a lot of bad stuff. A lot of bad stuff. But with that being said, you pretty much know all the information I do. So let's get into the theory section. One of the first theories is that she was taken by a random individual and sold basically on the, you know, as a sex slave on the market there. And, you know, that, that mid-50s pickup truck that we had discussed earlier as being seen that was following her was actually just a random passerby, maybe a truck driver of some sort, had picked her up, got her in the vehicle. She either 
broke her cassette player with the Boston tape in it to leave the breadcrumb trail, or he had broken it during the abduction. I personally don't like this theory. It is not a bad theory, but the one thing that bothers me about it is I don't think that's going to work because this is a 19-year-old girl who used to bike 34 to 36 miles a day. You get any random guy in a truck that's going to try to abduct her, she is going to run her ass off and you are never going to catch her. That right there is just pure simple facts. I mean, that is... I mean, I don't want to say physical evidence, but that is fact. You are not going to catch this chick. Um, I just... That's the main reason I find this very hard to believe. That I... At the end of the day there had to have been more than one person involved. I hate to say it, but there's not actually too many theories. The next one is that, uh, I believe his name is David Parker Ray. David Parker Ray is known as the Toy Box Killer. He actually lived about an hour and 45 minutes south of Bella, New Mexico, and for those of you who do not know who David Parker Ray is, he converted a trailer into a $100,000 torture chamber. He was eventually caught in 1999, and he died of a heart attack in 2002, right before he was going to be interrogated about all of his possible victims. And I say possible victims because... There are actually no murders that can be attributed to David Parker Ray. The reason he got caught is by women who either escaped or who had came uh, forward after the fact. His M.O. was pretty much prostitutes. He would kidnap, rape, and torture them, but he would dose them with so many drugs that they literally had a hard time remembering who the hell they were after a, after a while, let alone who he was. There is a theory that he had abducted Tara, and he was actually known to go, you know, around a hundred mile, a hundred mile radius, and abduct these women to rape and torture in his quote unquote toy box. So it's not totally unheard of that he had ran into Tara Calico. Uh, one theory actually says that when he drugged her, he gave her too much, and she overdosed, and then he had disposed of the body. Now, I have a hard time believing this theory personally, because one, she was extremely physically fit, which would probably mean her metabolism a little bit better than most people's. Which means any drug that you induce, yeah, she might be clean, but her body's going to break it down a little bit faster. Uh, that and David Parker Ray was a pro at this point in time. They believe he started doing this back in the 50s. This was 1988. So he knew how much drugs to give somebody to where if he chose not to, he wouldn't kill them. Uh, he was a pretty much a sociopath. But like I said, there is actually no murders attributed to him. There are about 14 to 60 murders that he is, is uh, suspected of, but he never confessed to any, and he was never found guilty or even charged with any. So that right there should be a known fact. Besides the drugs and the athleticism of Tara, 
that included, that's pretty much why I personally discount this theory, and it is actually, I mean, it's a very good theory, but uh, it's probably not the one I, I would roll with. Another one is that a couple local boys who were younger than her, uh, who possibly were still in high school at the time, were harassing her. It is said that Tara, and you can tell by the pictures, she's a very lovely young lady. Every guy wanted to go out with her. Every guy wanted to talk to her. But she was just more worried about exercising. She had a boyfriend. So you got a couple younger guys, maybe drunk, you know, driving around. They either try to grab her, you know, while harassing her or whatnot. Maybe even try to rape her at some point in time or even accidentally hit her now this part right here would explain why the cassette player was broken and it would also explain why the sheriff is saying what he says basically what they say happened is it was an accidental death and this is just like I said one theory an accidental death the uh, young boys didn't mean to either kill her or actually hurt her that bad i don't i don't really see the injury factor the fact that the the two younger guys would be you know oh shit we accidentally broke her leg so now we have to murder her and bury her out in the middle of the desert so she doesn't call the cops i really don't i really don't see that i was a young kid at once uh, i would bite the bullet on that i would not murder somebody I think uh, the biggest part of that theory, the strongest part, is that they accidentally hit her at some point in time, whether they were just messing around or didn't see her, and that they called two of their friends, who in turn called some parents who were higher up in the local government who helped cover it up. Now, this is what Sheriff Friend says, and this is actually a very, very popular theory just because of the fact uh you know the photo could not be proven to be her so they believe that her body is still out there and there actually was in a uh, 2015 some skeletal remains found not far from where terra calico went missing they were found in a shallow grave it is still unconfirmed whether or not these bones are hers i have not heard any updates about this so stay tuned this case might be solved one of these days here soon yeah of course we talked about the sex trafficking theory i really don't see that i mean i could see her being held for the nine months in order to take the picture uh they do state that she looked healthy in the picture she looked like she was eating and getting rest and in all honesty that is a really good theory because if you're going to sell something you want it to look the best that it can you're not gonna starve you know some woman that you plan to sell into the sex trade because the worse she looks the less money you're gonna get and i know that is a very cruel way of putting it but that is reality folks no comment on the boy in the picture just because we really don't have anybody who has ever come forward and claimed to even think that is their kid which honestly is mind-boggling to me uh, you know, maybe he was a runaway or something of that sort. Not 100% sure on that one. Um, that is a very plausible theory, but me personally, not a big fan of it. Because I have my own crazy theory, and here it is, whether you like it or not. 
My personal theory is that Sheriff Wren and possibly somebody else had seen her out there, you know, maybe biking. If the rumors about him are true, I could see him trying to maybe maybe sexually assault her or try to coax her into something and her, you know, saying, no, I'm going to tell somebody about it. What better person to cover up a crime, divert all attention to somebody else than the local sheriff or a deputy at the time? They say these rumors go back to where he was a beat cop or a uniformed police officer, which would be right around this time frame. Or the uh, MR, the, the local DA, was said to have the same interests as Sheriff Wren which would explain why this is getting swept under the rug and absolutely nothing is being brought forward about it. That right there makes sense to me. Uh, I know it's a pretty outlandish theory, but to be honest with you, it makes sense because you have to be have some kind of power in order to have all this evidence that he claims to have, absolutely do nothing about it. He has a reputation for sweeping other murders under the rug uh, by saying the exact same thing that there's not enough evidence without a body uh, the fact that if the rumors in this local area are true it could include a lot of the local government in which case they are not going to tell on each other because i can guarantee if one of them goes down they're all going to go down you know they're going to be they're going to be singing like canaries you know but, like I said, I know that's an outlandish theory. It really, really is. But if those rumors about him are true, I think that is a very, very strong theory. And I know it's, like I said, a little bit out there. But I really think that's a good theory. Other than that, maybe, possibly, it was just a random killing. You know, maybe just a run-of-the-mill rape and murder. And I hate saying that so conveniently but it does happen but other than that those are really the the strongest theories those are the facts and those are the evidence take the rumors as you will but i will say that those rumors that i read were not just one person it was an entire thread of people who live there who know and it was by at least a dozen people which take that as you will but with all that being said, feel free to form your own theories, look into it yourself, get a hold of me, say something on the Facebook page. Um, and speaking of which, uh, if you would like to get a hold of me, you can always email me at mysteriouscircumstances99 at gmail.com. I am on Instagram, just type in my name. Uh, we do have the Mysterious Circumstances group, which is on Facebook. Uh, we also have the page where you can leave reviews. Um, I do appreciate, if you do know how to, if you leave them on iTunes because that helps uh, get the word out a little bit about me, and I do appreciate that. But word of mouth works too, which I would like to thank Sarah and Tori on Instagram for that. But other than that, that's really all I got for you. Um, next week, we will we will not have a vote for next week's episode because I am going to pick the episode next week because I've been wanting to do this one forever and it has been killing me not to. But other than that, I'd like to say hello to Gisela, which 
I probably screwed up her name and she is totally going to bitch me out for that. Um, she is helping me and probably going to co-host a case that we are working on together from Sweden. I do not read Swedish, so she is literally translating hundreds of pieces of paper for me. Which is, I can't thank her enough, she's amazing. We got a lot of good episodes coming up for you here in the future, so you guys all stay tuned. That includes a premium content episode. That episode will be about, oh, I'm not going to tell you. Um, but it is going to be at least a two hour to two and a half hour long episode. I probably won't charge that much for it. Uh, we also got some merchandise coming up pretty soon here. Uh, gonna have some t-shirts, maybe some beer mugs, something like that. But with all that being said, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Feel free to drop me a line and give me your theories. And I suppose with that, I will see you guys on the flip side.